Hello and welcome to The Lightest Tread, the official podcast of Soul and Recork, where we speak to extraordinary and ordinary people who do ordinary and extraordinary things that are good for their bodies, good for the planet, and typify the soul of adventure. I'm your host, Paul Morn Brown, and my guest today is Teresa Martinez, Executive Director of the Continental Divide Trail Coalition. For over 30 years, Teresa has worked professionally to increase awareness, engagement, access, and stewardship of the United States' entire national trail system. Teresa is a lifelong outdoor recreationist and has worked for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and the Continental Divide Trail Alliance before co-founding the Continental Divide Trail Coalition in 2012. The Continental Divide National Scenic Trail, or CDT, is one of the most significant trail systems in the world. Established by U.S. Congress in 1978, it spans 3,100 miles, that's 5,000 kilometers, between Mexico and Canada. It traverses five states and connects countless communities along the spine of the Rocky Mountains. Seoul is proud to support the Continental Divide Trail Coalition by sponsoring footbeds to help volunteers and employees of the CDTC do their crucial work in comfort. We also encourage listeners to offer their own support via the link in the episode description. We have no doubt that after listening to Teresa, you'll feel confident that it's money or time well spent. Lastly, listeners can get 15% off at yoursoul.com by entering the code CONTINENTAL at checkout. If you enjoy this conversation, please do subscribe to The Lightest Tread wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Listen up, folks. It's time for The Lightest Tread. Thanks so much for joining me, Teresa. It's nice to be here. Um, so the last time I spoke to you, you were heading to the happy mayhem of the outdoor retailer show floor. I was. It was happy mayhem. That's actually a wonderful way to put it. Uh, it was a lot smaller, you know, than in the past. But uh, uh, a lot of great people were there. It was great to see people we hadn't seen in like three years um, just because mm. of the pandemic. And um, yeah, it was nice to kind of be back in that setting. <laughs> we used to be there on a on a yearly basis we don't we're not there anymore um unfortunately um but we used to be the the bathroom sponsors um, oh, right so people would be coming up to our booth to to um ask us for a bit of support to keep their feet happy throughout the the rest of the events it's a lot of steps you wouldn't you wouldn't think you clock up quite as many steps as you do on on the show floor it's so true. Well, it's funny because this show, they didn't actually have any carpet down. So we were just all walking on the concrete. Yeah. And so wow. you could tell every time you'd come in, you'd run into somebody, if it was like at an intersection or something in one of the rows, you'd start talking to people and everybody was doing the shift. Like you couldn't set on your feet mm. one foot too long. And, and actually I was talking to a good colleague of mine. I don't know if you know, um, Jason Lacunas who puts on PCT days um, out at Cascade Locks, but we were kind of laughing about it. Just, we were both shifting and he says, Oh, are, are you feeling it too? And I, I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, do your feet hurt? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, they really hurt. And I was wearing like tennis shoes with insoles, but it's just that concrete and you're walking up and down and all around. And, yeah. And I think at one point I sat down somewhere um, in a meeting with Osprey and I thought, God, this is the first time I've sat down in two days and really sat down. And I was like, wow, that felt good. 
but yeah, you can tell, you know, a lot of times at the, at least in a lot of these shows, they'll put like padding and carpet in the walkways, but they didn't have any of that. Mm. So you could tell everybody though was shifting. It was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's back in, uh, in Salt Lake city. Is that, is that correct? I think that's what like the winter show will be there, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure if we'll go. It'll, we'll see. Oh, who okay. there. Yeah. We, um, you know, CDTC works with partners like you all. Um, and we just work with everybody so much throughout the year anyways, that, you know, the show is just kind of a mm. bonus to see a lot of people at once in one place, but if not everybody's there, mm. um, I think we're looking at other ways. That's actually one of the things I was talking to the PCT days folks about is like, maybe we go to events like that where we're all there and it's a little bit more social. And so we're not having to Mm. take time away from the retail component of it, but we're actually still building relationship with all of our partners and, you know, outdoors where we're not doing the shift <laughs> or at least from walking on concrete indoors um, and looking for other ways to sort of really connect with one another. Because I think at this point, our relationships, you know, we'd like to work with partners like you all that are really invested in us as people and humans and like we are in you and, it, mm. The alignments are great um, because we get to do great work together, but it's really meaningful then when we get to actually experience stuff together. So it's not just the show. It's, and it's just not just going to get a meal together. It's going for a hike or doing fun things together or finding ways to really show up as humans with one another so that those relationships are really not just the transaction of you support us and we elevate your brand. It's more that we actually like each other as people and we support each other and we're there for mm. each other. So finding those opportunities to really lean into those relationships a little bit more where we're all a little bit more present even. And we're not just like, I have to go because I got another meeting and we're running from thing to thing to thing, mm. which mm. is what always happens at OR. You're mm. constantly moving. So, Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's, it's definitely one of the things that we miss as a team. I mean, I, I only had a couple of, I had two shows at, at OR, so I didn't have that much time to sort of build those um, relationships outside of our, our own brand. It's it's something that we miss as as an opportunity as a as a team internally also to get together. We're, we're spread out a, across a couple of different locations and there's kind of, um, there's a bit of that, uh, what, what my friend Emily calls trauma trauma bonding through just the, <laughs> the 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 exhausting nature of the whole experience of the setup and takedown and uh, not to mention the dinners and, and drinks in between and yeah um, just, and, but definitely yeah. the social the social side of of the events also reconnecting it was great for me as a, as a, a newbie to the event to see people's faces light up when you know this rep that they haven't seen in ages comes in and um yeah it's a great a great event so perhaps um it's a good opportunity to ask you to describe your role exactly um and give us a bit of an idea of what is it that you do you do at at or for instance um uh, what are those relationships that you're working on building and what is the ultimate end goal yeah so so i'll maybe i'll just start off too with the continental divide trail coalition and that we are the lead national partner working with the U.S. Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, and National Park Service in the cooperative stewardship of the Continental Divide Trail. So what does that mean? It means that we work in relationship, right? Just like I was just saying with 
these three federal agencies that are charged with sort of the congressional um, uh, responsibility of oversight of the Continental Divide Trail, but they need to do that in partnership with a nonprofit partner or a private partner. That would be us. And so we sort of form this really unique uh, cooperative relationship where we can both leverage our strengths so the agencies obviously have agency stuff, but for example, the Park Service and the Forest Service don't come out of the same department. One is Department of Interior and one is Department of Agriculture. And so they don't always speak the same language. So we can sometimes serve as that liaison or with local gateway communities or whatever, we serve in a liaison role with partners, organizations, individuals, hikers, um, recreationists of all sort in terms of how the CDT affects them and can they can be involved in its stewardship. And so for CDTC, we in general do everything from working with Congress to working with agencies, working with gateway communities, working with um, users, working with indigenous communities, working with business communities to sort of understand the importance of the Continental Divide Trail, both as a recreational resource, but also the significance of it as a national um, treasure, which is it's the major watershed of the North American continent. It's kind of an important resource for the entire continent, not, not to mention just the United States. <laughs> um, especially if you talk about all these things with water and fire, it's kind of a big deal. Um, so we sort of serve as that, that mm. public-private partner. Um, it, we serve in that role as the part of that public-private partnership. And so my role as executive director, I'm also one of the co-founders, is really providing that strategic vision, but also working with all of our partners to understand how we can be better of service, whether it's a gateway community, the recreationists, working with you know corporate partners or working with um, decision makers um, in all the different ways where we have, we know our core values, finding ways we can align and expand our core values with other partners and individuals and all the different spectrums um, where we can find alignment so we can continue to expand this incredible community that loves and cares about not just this trail that's on the spine of the continental divide, but the divide itself, this landscape that is just so fundamentally important on a larger scale than even just being able to hike it from north to south or south to north, that it just serves this incredibly important role in creating life for everybody from little critters to big critters to communities from time immemorial to today um, and in the future. So my my role is really in, you know, obviously I have oversight of the organization, but we have a team that's, we're very flat. We have 16 employees, um, all of which work. We're such a small team, you know, we're, we're always working together. There's no hierarchy. Um, I really just sign paychecks, really. Everybody else kind of, we're all self-directed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we work together really close as a team, but it allows us to maximize our capacity to, to um, for all of us to kind of work individually, but also as a small team. But then also, you know, my work is to make sure that team is has all the resources and tools it needs to be effective and be innovative and creative and thrive in the roles that they all have and mm-hmm. we all have collectively, because it's definitely a we. Um, and um, so my role at OR is really just... Um, I'm there because all of you are there or, you know, partners are there and it's a great opportunity to sit down and just have some phase time with people. We really like a lot. Like I said, as we started just, you know, we're not in this just because we get free gear. It's like, 
we want to work together with partners that really wanted to work together and think about this landscape that is so important. And it doesn't stop at the U.S. borders. It continues all the way north and south um, to the ends of the earth, literally. Um, and so thinking how we can expand and really nurture a community that is that loves this landscape, loves the fact that there's a trail on it that allows us to connect to this landscape, um, and then celebrate all of the people, the human people, the humans that that are deeply connected to today and can be deeply connected to it tomorrow in a way that's really um, meaningful and deep and, and not to oversell it, but it really is just about how do we maintain those relationships and nurture um, the great work that we can do um, just to keep people aware that this landscape is important, it exists, it's protected, and that you can hike along it, this amazing spine of the continent. So that's, that's why I'm at OR, and um, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's also a lot of work. People think it must be just totally fun, and I'll be honest, like sometimes you feel like a piece of bread in a fishbowl. You're just kind of like, I got, I'm talking too much, or I'm talking, you just spend all day talking. And, you know, I'm an extrovert. People don't believe this, but I'm like an extroverted introvert. So I love people, hmm. but I only love people after I've been able to hold myself up in a house with all the blinds drawn and like talk to nobody. <laughs> and I can recharge and kind of have some space and I can take a deep mm. breath. I can like, okay, I'm good. And then I can go back out and be like dynamic and everything else, but I have to have both. And, you know, OR, you kind of like you're immersed in like people yeah. and conversation and sometimes deep conversation. And, you know, to be really present, you show up as yourself. And so it's a uh, OR can take mm. a lot out of you. Um, and then oftentimes you're not eating the best food and whatever. So, cause it's a, you know, it's, it's a trade show. So you're just moving really fast. Um, but it's, you know, but it's great to be there on behalf of CDTC. So, cause it's easy to talk about <laughs> the work we do. It definitely makes life easier if you have um, interesting stories to tell and, and good things to say, things you're excited to talk about. That's really what it comes down to is, mm -hmm. is, is the stuff you're, talking about exciting to you as much as to anybody else. So so OR is one small element in in the bigger obviously in in the bigger scope of all of that that you've that you've spoken about and there is so much going on um in that uh well there there is so much that you are doing let me say um to me my first awareness maybe it's because I grew up in South Africa and I now live in Canada. Um, so I, I'm not immersed in, in the, the United States and the sort of outdoor culture there specifically. My, my first awareness personally of the CDT um, came in conversation with a, a couple of the through hikers uh, who we have relationships with, one of whom is Amathan uh, Sebaraja, who I know is on the board. Mm -hmm. there with you guys and the others uh Zolz and Akitsali both of whom are fantastically inspiring peop people in their own ways um the points of all of this though being that in my mind the the CDT is predominantly a through hiking trail maybe not predominantly but that's perhaps what how it's most um, uh, idolized or romanticized or, or mm -hmm. that's the sort of glossy version of, of um, 
outdoor enthusiast's idea of what is the CDT? Well, it's this really, 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 really long, really, really, really beautiful and really, really challenging walk from Mexico to Canada. Um, I'd love it if you could unpack a, f- a few of those other <laughs> ideas, though, of, of how it's more than than just that. And you've spoken to it in terms of a of conservation and in terms of uh, the way the role you play as almost a mediator between mm-hmm. government agencies. I'm really interested in, in how does that work. How, what what's the role exactly that you play in 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 um, the conservation of the area and what is the dynamic between the the purely sort of recreational aspect of the trail, um, and how much does that give and take to the give to and take from the conservation aspect of things? If that's not a hugely convoluted, like, uh, yeah, that's question. like twenty questions. You, how much time do we have? No, I can, I can think, I can do this. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we definitely pick one, anyone. Well, I'll start from from this idea. I can't write. It's like impossible. Well, they're all related though, and and it is. I mean, I think that's the sure. beautiful thing is this is a trail where maybe unlike other trails, so much intersects because it is such an important landscape in its own right. Like in its own right, the Continental Divide has a major important role in life on this planet in that it's where, you know, water emerges from the ground and then flows um, east and west, actually kind of in the north a little bit too, and a little south, um, and provides these arteries of life to communities all around the world that ultimately, you know, when it flows the ocean, then, then it goes around. Um, you know, we very early on in Continental Divide Trail Coalition sort of history realized that focusing on just the recreational experience really minimized the understanding of what this trail really is about. And so when national scenic trails in the United States are designated, they're designated for two purposes. One is to protect the nationally significant natural, cultural, scenic, and historic resources of that trail. And then to provide the maximum benefit, outdoor recreation benefit to the public. When you look at those things, you know, in the case of the Continental Divide Trail, Congress in its um, original study report determined that it was suitable to create one, that it was nationally significant enough to create a national scenic trail around it, was that the goal was to provide an intimate experience with the person on the trail to the Continental Divide. And that could be whether they are stepping foot at a road sign, you know, like when you're traveling over or under the divide and you're like, oh my God, I'm on the divide. I can pee on both sides of the watershed, you know, or you're actually walking <laughs> along in the foots of Lewis and Clark or in one of the, you know, the footsteps of an indigenous community or um, any of those, you know, things um, following elk or whatever. So we realized that for someone to really have a meaningful, intimate experience, we probably needed to focus more on the landscape and the connections that it fostered than to focus on just the recreational experience. That was a one dimensional compared to this expansive opportunity to think about all the connections around the divide that it is, it is, you know, this, you know, these are, these are lands that were um, communities of indigenous people and native people have had connections to for time immemorial. And, And in many cases, people, these people uh, have their emergent stories coming from the divide itself. And I think that that's really important um, because life is, water comes from this as well. And that's where life evolves. We can't live without water. Um, the 
cross-cultural connections that it's east to west, you know, in this westward expansion of the United States and all that stuff, both in its good and bad parts, you know, understanding that significance historically, understanding the watershed, understanding the wildlife migrations and human migrations in general, understanding the climate issues affecting this landscape. It has this opportunity to really provide this, this um, understanding of the connections, communities, and cultures that are along this amazing landscape in a way that maybe isn't, other trails don't maybe lean into as much. Um, and if we do that well, we realize the recreational experience will only benefit. It will follow naturally. Because once you get people to the divide, if you've told the story in the appropriate way and honored and acknowledged the appropriate individuals and people, meaning native peoples appropriately, and you can build this long-term understanding of the past, present, and future of this landscape, the landscape itself will tell the rest of it. Like, I don't need to tell you how beautiful mm. it is at Gray's and Tory's Peak or how beautiful it is in the boot heel or how beautiful it is at Glacier. Glacier speaks for itself. Um, I don't have to mm. do that. We don't have to do that. But it will also tell a different story if it's not protected, if it's developed, if it's, you know, environmentally impacted by other kinds of things or like what's happening in Yellowstone right now, the flooding that has just cut off communities and destroyed roads and has closed the park. I don't know if you all are aware of this up north, but Yellowstone has had such massive flooding that they've closed the entire park because roads have washed out. The communities of Gardner and I can't remember the other town are completely cut off from the rest of the world because wow. roads have been flooded. The roads, it's unprecedented flooding. Well, that tells a story also of climate change. Um, this, the fires mm. that are happening here in New Mexico um, the immense drought that has caused the national forest to close in, in prevention of further fire because of extreme mm. drought and weather. That tells a story that even though hikers maybe can't experience the CDT right now in New Mexico and national forest, the fact that they can't have that intimate experience is also telling a story. And I think that the way we've looked at the trail beyond just the recreational experience allows us to lead people into those spaces so they can have those experiences themselves and understand that in a very profound way. Um, I think our work is really around, you know, I talked about relationships. It really is around relationships and, you know, you can't have bring people to these places in a transactional sense, like just, you know, check a box, come on a hike. That's not enough to really, you know, engage people in that space, but they don't necessarily need to hike from Mexico, Canada or Canada to Mexico to have that. There are communities and individuals and people, families, um, native peoples who have never hiked a foot on the Continental Divide Trail, but have an immense and deep connection to the Continental Divide landscape. And so whether they're mm -hmm. day hiking or having picnics or doing ceremony, or in fact, hiking with their families and friends and neighbors, that they can connect to this landscape is just as important as someone being able to hike um, north to south for six months along its spine because that connection is just as valuable. And so we focus on, well, yes, I think you're right. 99% of what people see of these long trails are these really amazing athletes who hike end to end or right end to end or do anything like that. That's just amazing. It's also just as amazing that a family that has lived along the divide for generations, you know, looks out their window and watches the sunset and has this profound, overwhelming sense that 
they can hike on a trail that's right in their front yard and also have that intimate experience beyond just their front window. You know, that there is this thing that they can also steward or it can support their business in town or it can provide an educational experience or a health benefit or something to their community that there's so many other ways that this landscape and this trail can impact human life that is beyond just that six month kind of space. And so I think we try to work at CDTC and you know, we provide all the information to the American public or all the public, I shouldn't say not just American public on the trail and how to access it and other resources they can use to access it. Um, uh, whether it's through paid services like apps and everything else or our free online map set and our planning guide that's free to, um, you know, we provide volunteer services to make sure the trail is maintained and signed to completing the trail so that actual trails off of highways um, to the education and outreach stuff we're doing through gateway communities to elevate small business owners um, voices in particular out in the Rocky Mountain West. So many communities are small and they're not like the AT or PCT. They're not LA. They're not Washington DC or Boston. These are communities that sometimes have 10 people in them, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. thinking about how we can give them voice that's just as valuable and important as um, anybody else in this whole thing is, is also some of our work. Um, and then just protecting this landscape and elevating these stories, whether again, they're around climate change or wildlife migration or human migration, or just the fact that this is where water comes from in the North American continent mm. is kind of a really cool thing. And I think our work tries to knit all of that together um, in a really human, personable way. You know, we don't, we really do focus on those human relationships. And if it means our work takes longer, it takes longer. If it means our work is bigger than it's bigger and it takes longer. <laughs> um, and if it feels different, it is different. You know, we work a lot in, in our trail. We also deal with communities of color um, because the trail starts in New Mexico at the border of New Mexico and or the United States and Mexico and at the base of New Mexico. And goes all the way to Canada. So we have this great opportunity to also talk about diversity and equity and justice um, just because some of the communities we go through are communities that oftentimes aren't in the conversation, um, but are directly addressing those issues, you know, and then, you know, again, we, we are this large landscape that's skinny up and down the spine of the divide that also connects these communities themselves. And so we try to do this work in a way that never loses sight of those nationally significant resources as they relate to creating a recreational experience. But we focus more on those. We probably focus first, I shouldn't say more, first on those the, the resources so that that recreational experience is profound. Again, whether it's for a picnic or a through hike. And, our, and I think all of our work, we're focused, all of us on at CDTC, we're all I think we all like people a lot. So we all work a lot well with people. <laughs> we focus on the human relationships a lot. So I love the idea of, of focusing on the profoundness of the experience. Um, and the timing is kind of perfect, actually. And this is almost a continuation of a conversation I had with a guy called Connor Ryan uh, oh. a couple of weeks ago, who's a Lakota skier. Mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about the way that we tell the stories of adventure uh, and going out into areas that are the wilderness and how those, the definition of the wilderness includes the idea of 
a, a place that's never been un, that's untrammeled by man, quote unquote, and how that sort of ignores the native history of a place. Absolutely. Um, and I really, I think it's a that's a really poignant idea. A lot of people undertaking a recreational uh, trip into quote unquote the wilderness or nature. Uh, we think of having its real power in getting away from from your place in human society, which it might to some extent for some people. Um, but I, I really like the idea that, in fact, where you when you get the richest experience of, or the richest version of that experience, and the most authentic version of that experience is when you do so in the context of your place, within the broader human history, the broader human story, and how that story fits into the natural cycles and the natural history of the place. Uh, and as Connor said, not as a separate entity, not as my story is separate and I'm here I come to visit nature, but as part of you know one living being um, as a part of the overall broader natural history of the place that that human beings are just as much as as any other animal that you might come across. Yeah, I think this is a really important message around not that we're going to go there, but equity and justice and diversity and that that there's this this notion that man is separate and the reality is we're human, right? We human, mm. you know, like there's two parts of us like in and, and you know, when we think about the divide, I t I've been, this is something I've been sort of, um, I call it vamping on for a little while, really thinking about it, but um, this idea of emergence. And, you know, if you think about water being life and life being water, something like the continental divide where water begins, and there are places on the continental divide trail where you literally stand where the Missouri River starts, where the Gila River starts, the Colorado River starts, the Rio Grande River starts, these major arteries of life that fuel not just, you know, life, but economies and, you know, everything. And, and of course, we're seeing them, all these water ecosystems struggle, right? These, these, mm. a lot of these, these water systems no longer reach the ocean, the Colorado and the Rio Grande no longer reach the ocean. But if this, their point of emergence, you think about every piece of water that flows out from the ground through one of these major or minor arteries into the oceans, eventually they make their way all around the planet and come back as rain back to the divide mm. in a point of convergence. So they're both this point where we, we leave and we come home to. And if you think about it in that context, we're all connected. You know, it's almost impossible that at some point, every molecule of water hasn't touched us in some way, in some form. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking big mm. here, obviously I'm very philosophical in this space, but I think when you think about it in that context, we are all related and we are all connected. Because water just flows through us. We can't live, exist. And then if you think about like, this is another thing I've been thinking about in, in general, which has nothing to do with the CDT, but maybe a little bit because we're watching, you know, so much drought and history of water resources being really, you know, struggling right now. Ecosystems are struggling because of lack of water um, or mm -hmm. these really extreme water events. But in so many ways, you know, there are parts here, in particular in New Mexico, where if you think about it in a human scale, are dehydrated. You know, we, you know, when humans are dehydrated, we run into all sorts of physical issues and potential death. And you look at the planet as a whole or this particular ecosystem. And while, yes, we're a point of emergence and convergence, 
we're also significantly dehydrated right now. So we're really mm. at this precipice of understanding like the importance or, or being able to take action to, to maintain health, not just of our ability to have this intimate experience, the divide and survive it, but that there's still a divide to connect to. Um, I think for me that that notion of where we are in the delicate balance of life is really profound and important um, for our generation right now. And as a conservationist, as a trail manager, as a steward, as somebody who's thinking of this, that goes back to this idea that we are not separate, but we are a part of this system. And, but yeah, maybe we're, we're one who've had, we're one part of the system that's had a larger influence than maybe others. Um, but we also have an opportunity to have a greater influence to go the other direction as much as we have sort of taken. Now it's maybe time to give back. Um, but in that larger context, mm. you can't separate us from this landscape. It's a part of us in all the ways. And um, for me, I think when I think about the work we do on the divide, I mean, some people are like, it's just a trail. And you're like, it is. But it's a trail that connects us to this amazing place that's part of the reason it exists. It isn't just for the recreational component. It's to have this intimate experience and understanding of this landscape, of national significance. And, um, and it doesn't end at the borders. Those are artificial. Like this, this landscape continues beyond our borders and the potential to connect to so many bigger ideas and thoughts because of that and, and places is just um, overwhelming um, at times, but also then it makes you really appreciate you can still have impact locally. And that, you know, because we're all in this connected space, at some point that will connect others and affect others. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, I think this idea of, of we are a part of the process, it's not, a, it's, it's not a transactional thing. It's very relational. You know, we, relate to this because it's part of who we are. Our DNA comes from it. Our DNA is affected by it fundamentally. So we should be a part of it. And I think the more that people like Connor talk about that and others talk about that, hopefully we can sort of see a shift in how we all treat our, our experiences in those places that we are a part of, not separate of or from wild places. For sure. Anyway, <laughs> I went down the, some rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I love Sorry. it. I love the rabbit holes. And uh, please don't apologize. I love the rabbit holes. I pushed it on the rabbit hole. <laughs> I, um, I'm interested in the function of the trail itself, oh. like the actual physical trail in this, this whole broader conversation. Because one thing that I found interesting um doing a bit of reading, which hadn't, it, it's, it's kind of obvious when you think about it, but it hadn't occurred to me before, was the idea that the trail needs to exist partly because, partly in order to concentrate traffic, human oh. traffic, along um, a, a sort of uh, monitored or maintained, um, but more more importantly, contained path. And in you would think initial impression is, well, hang on, if everybody's in one place, surely that's more harmful than to have everybody spread out. But then you realize, well, no, if everybody's walking one trail, it minimizes 
the amount of impacts that's caused uh, throughout, you know, rather 100 people and walk one trail than 100 small damages uh, in, in a sort of uh, broad surrounds. Um, so it's almost similarly to, to how the riverbed is the journey of, of the water molecules. The trail itself gives this uh, sort of passageway for human people, you know, for people to to travel it and to experience it um and so it does hold a, a very specific um it f- plays a, a specific function and it holds a specific mm-hmm. importance uh in and of itself um so i would like to speak to the trail itself at least briefly um and talk about the ins and outs of i mean me, I personally am completely ignorant to to how it all works. You know, how do you maintain a trail from from uh, from Mexico to Canada? Like, how how physically who's responsible for for all of it, and how much do you do, and how much is up to government organizations? Yeah. So, well, I'll start first with um, maybe the origin of the Continental Divide Trail. So when the when Congress created the CDT, they, they were also, aside from saying we want people to have an intimate experience with the divide, they also mentioned that they want that experience to remain relatively primitive so that experience really is as truly possible, as much as possible, unencumbered from facilities. So unlike the Appalachian Trail, there would be no shelters or privies, you know, um, and when you're anybody who's done any long distance hiking on the CDT knows that, you know, community access is minimal um, just because of the small rural communities that exist. Um, and Congress was really specific around things like signing, saying that the, the, the use the primitive tool necessary. So if you're in a place like the desert, the boot heel of New Mexico, instead of having where there are no trees, first of all, and there's sand, so you can't really build a trail through that kind of environment. It can get beaten in, but it can't necessarily be built unless you do really heavy construction and put in all this other stuff in which, again, Congress said not to do, then it's going to be line of sight. So is there a way, you know, encouraging development of a trail to be minimal so that even as you're hiking, there's a little bit of that kind of kind of um, connection to the unknown and the unexpected and the adventure, hmm. right? So unlike the AT where there's a blaze every other tree and people still get lost um, <laughs> on the CDT, you might not need, see, to, see a sign. By design, you might not see a sign for a quarter a mile or a mile because hmm. really we're only supposed to sign at road crossings and major intersections. And in places where you can see like up high, up in the high country or in the desert, it's line of sight. So you'll see a sign way off in the distance or a rock. And also, you know, they gave us um, everything from using rock cairns to wooden posts to actually the the reassurance, we call them reassurance signs with the little blue markers that are metal um, to in wilderness having, you know, uh, branded trees or routed signs on natural wood signs that are then put on trees. But the signing is minimal. It's not a white blaze on a tree. It can be a rock cairn. And so the goal was to keep people in that space of what a truly, having a truly authentic experience on the continental divide, which is, it is wild. It's not necessarily wilderness. 
but it is mm. wild. And so it isn't intended to be um, so defined that, you know, like a traditional trail is constructed from end to end. Well, that will never probably happen on the CDT, or at least maybe, maybe someday it would when there's that much use that we need to do that for resource damage. But that would be the trigger. It'd be resource damage versus just outwardly from the beginning. So like the Appalachian Trail, the environments that it goes through are predominantly mountains that have no pathways. So they have to construct, heavily construct by pulling a lot of dirt off the ground. It's really invasive to create something that looks like a deer created it. Mm, mm. Um, And having built trail for my entire career from start to finish, you know, trail construction is incredibly, it's like a little mini road without the, you know, heavy equipment, Mm. but you're moving sometimes in side slopes that are really steep, a lot of dirt, moving trees, moving vegetation, moving animals, moving critters, because the little critters that live in the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's not an, you know, it's a very invasive process. And I think in that, and sometimes you have to do that because that's what the, the resource demands. But in other cases where, where the resource, like for example, if you're at the top of a long ridge and it's literally 10 feet wide and you can't go in either direction because you're on the physical divide, I don't know where else you're going to go, but that, that 10 foot wide ridge, you could put a Karen mile away and be okay hmm. because there's really, you're not going to get lost. Hmm. Well, I can't say that you shouldn't get lost. <laughs> Maybe it's a, I don't know. Anyway, we won't even go there. We won't pass that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> cause I'm sure somebody, I, when I, I worked at eight, I worked at the Appalachian trail for 20 years and, um, I, my region was South, Southwest and central Virginia. And, you know, to me, the AT was so oversigned. I don't know how people got lost, but they did all the time. And they would, it was right around when cell phones were becoming popular. And I'll never forget. I got this phone call from somebody and they're like, I'm lost. And I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do yeah. about it? Like, <laughs> like, and they just happened to call the office and I happened to be in that day. And because um, I wasn't in the field, usually we were in the field because we spent so much time out in the woods. And um, they were like, well, Isaac, well, where did you start? You know, here, XYZ place. Okay, well, and I happen to know this trail section really, really well, like the back of my hand. And I was like, well, what are you on? Well, it looks like a trail. I'm pretty sure you're on the AT. Well, I haven't seen a sign okay, well, I'm pretty sure you're on the AT because if you're on what you're describing to me, there's a path that it looks like this X, Y, Z. There's no other place to go but the AT in this mm. location. And they didn't believe me. And so I said, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, if you have service, because this is right when cell phones were kind of new in the backcountry, mm. they walked with their phone talking to me. And sure enough, like 100 yards later, they finally found a tree. They turned around and saw a tree that had a blaze on it, like right where they were standing. But because they were only looking in one direction, they didn't. And they're like, oh, I guess I am not lost. And I'm like, no, you're not lost. <laughs> you know, but but so I will say that I'm always amazed, which is also a beautiful thing that people push themselves out in places maybe they're not ready for. But it's all great. Um, I think on the, the case of the CDT, I would say that from our design standards, you know, we have you know policy and guidance that tells us what we can and cannot do. Um, to ensure a good experience, that intimate experience of the divide, which isn't is not a place where you're, it's oversigned and it's very like I would call it, um, uh, it's not a county park, mm. but it isn't necessarily a dangerous place where you're gonna, you know, you shouldn't feel like I mean, the, notoriously the CDT has been a place where, gosh, until 2018 it wasn't even officially signed, officially from end to end. We did that in a partnership with the Forest Service. So 
Um, and even there now, it's only what, six years later, four years later, some of the signs I'm sure are gone. So, you know, the ongoing process of investing in these, the signing alone, um, and just, just general the maintenance is heavy and the agencies can't do it by themselves. So we definitely are in a shared stewardship partnership. We have volunteer projects we run. We work with gateway communities to have Adopt-A-Trail programs. There are a lot of partner organizations in Youth Corps that do some of that lift as well. Um, and then some places don't have anybody yet. So there's still, you know, they, they, there's places that are in constant need of support and other places that, you know, when you're above tree line in Colorado, there's not much work you need to do. There's no clipping and snipping. It might be some care and fixing here and there, but there's really minimal work to be done. Um, but, uh, you know, it's all an investment and um, we try to go by the guidelines that were set kind of by policy by the Forest Service interpreting this direction from Congress, which is to be minimally signed, minimize facilities, unless it's resource damage to really minimize even construction so that it's passable by equestrian and hiking foot traffic. So I should also mention that the CDT is primarily for hikers and equestrians and pack stock, but there are a lot of other uses that are allowed case by case along the entire CDT, which includes mountain bikes. In some places there's even motorized trail use and motorized use in general, which we're moving some of those motorized sections to non-motorized sections eventually. But, um, you know, there's a whole host of conditions. And so starting this year, actually, we're starting to document all of that condition of the CDT so we can start building long-term maintenance plans for the trail, which don't exist right now. Because unlike the AT and PCT, while the trail is 45 years old, um, it really hasn't been until the last 10 years that people even had maps of the CDT, mm. like official maps. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, we're kind of where ATC and the Pacific Crest Trail Association were maybe in the 80s. Um, uh, so we are just beginning that journey of documenting the conditions and everything that's on the trail to understand what does it take to actually sustain and maintain these places and what kind of resources and stuff do we need. And we're doing that in partnership with federal agencies. But because the federal agencies themselves have capacity issues, we're taking a lot of that. that we're doing the heavy lift. And utilizing their skills and making sure it's that everything jives with what they have, um, but it's not necessarily, you know, we we really serve in that capacity to get it done because we're so much more nimble and flexible than a, a federal agency is, hmm. um, and then continue to recruit volunteers and organizations and partners and everybody else to adopt trail segments and work in stewardship on those places, but. Um, it's a, I wish I could say it was a really fine oiled machine, but I would say instead it's, we've got all the parts of the machine in the garage and we're learning how to put them all together. And we don't have necessarily some plans, but we've kind of done it before. <laughs> so we're going to wing it. <laughs> I think, you know, I used to tell people, it's like, we're, we're in the kitchen, we're, you know, we're baking a cake and we've had one explosion so far. That was a previous organization that existed. Now we're back in the kitchen. It's working out so far. I think we're going to be okay with this cake, but then we're going to have to ice it and hope that it doesn't go bad there. But, um, you know, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we know, we know what parts work. So we're starting to pull those parts together. <laughs> um, in order to do that, you, it must come down to, um, uh, extensive personal experience 
<laughs> yeah, money. I was gonna. That was my <laughs> no, next question. How does money. it work? <laughs> I mean, money. so the CD, the CDTC has been around for for ten years now, correct? Ten years officially. Ten years. Yeah. Awesome. So you know, we're a private nonprofit. So we and we have grown a lot, and a lot of our funding, we only get like maybe fifteen percent of our funding from the federal government. Everything else is corporations, mostly private you know, individual giving. Um, grants, that mm. kind of stuff for on the ground trail work. We do a lot of grants with organizations that fund trail work, that kind of stuff, state organizations, um, you name it. Um, but our biggest source is really, we built CDTC on the idea that everybody who gave a dollar was as important as anyone who, one person who gave a hundred dollars that we'd actually prefer a hundred people giving a one dollar than one person giving a hundred dollars solely because then we had a hundred voices who were willing to speak mm. up on behalf of the CDT versus just one voice who could go away at any given time. So we mm. value immensely being very grassroots based. So pretty much, I think over half 55 to 60% of our funding comes from individual donations. So individuals, wow. memberships, giving, you name it. Um, and I'm really proud of that because that means to me that over 2,800, 3,000 people we have those voices in support of this landscape and in this trail versus just one person who was like, hey, here's a check for whatever, which we love. I'm not complaining, but I'm also saying that it's important to have a whole different, a lot of different ways you get funding in. And I think it allows us with this strong grassroots support to really stay focused on the ground versus being directed by like when you chase money, this has been my experience 35 years in nonprofits you know, money is power, which is seductive. But oftentimes when you have one person kind of dangling a lot of money in front of you, you end up shifting mission to follow the money mm. versus staying true to your roots. Mm. And I think by us really focusing on our, our grassroots foundation, we stay as close as possible to the trail and the communities we serve as, as, as we can and as we, we want to, which is to, we are always in service of the people who love this landscape and this trail first. And if people want to come in and say, I believe in that mission and I want to support that with no strings attached, we're like, yes, join, join the many. Mm. Um, and I think, and then of course, federal agencies who have a duty to support some of this work as well, because it is a federal, you know, it's a congressionally designated mm. trail. Um, but I think um, in terms of money is important, obviously, um, because especially long-term sustained funding, and this is an issue I have currently where you see all this funding going out there for like America the Beautiful, but it's this one-time injection of funding versus long-term sustained funding, which I would rather, again, that's why grassroots funding is so important. If you're doing your job well, people will support you and they will continue to support you. And if you don't do your job well, they won't support you. So that's you know, we're not in competition with anybody but ourselves, so to speak, mm. because we should be of service to the people we are, that are investing in us. We should be good stewards of the, those funds so that we're doing what we need to be doing on behalf of the trail and the communities we serve. Having said that, um, people themselves are important, that people are willing to stand up and speak out on behalf of protecting the trail and stewardship of the trail and stewardship of the communities along the trail and stewardship of trails in their own backyard whether they're the CDT or connect to the CDT or not, because trails are so important to us as a society for human health, physical health, mental health, economic health, general well-being. Trails themselves serve so many values to communities that having trails 
is fundamental, should be fundamental, at least in the United States, um, if not everywhere else, fundamental to the fabric of society. So having people who are willing to speak up and speak, stand up on behalf of trails, especially the CDT, is, is so critical because it also demonstrates it's not just me, it's a we. And that we is powerful and we have a voice and we're going to put, we're going to take care of this regardless of if we have funding or not, you know? Mm. And, Mm. um, and I think that that's what people miss, you know, CDTC is not an empire builder. While yes, we've grown a lot in the last 10 years from the four of us who started CDTC with $4 to where we have over a million dollar budget this year. I'm really proud of that because again, over half of that is from individual donations Mm. We're also, we don't have fancy offices. We all mostly work from home. We do have an office in Golden, Colorado, which gives us a central place to mail, you know, cool stuff out from and, and you know, have a place that people can send letters to um, and call. Um, but we really try to minimize the overhead so that really the funding that we get and the support that we receive stays again to the, surf, to the people in the, the landscapes we serve primarily first. But that isn't to say, you know, folks at CDTC, we want to make sure folks at CDTC who work here also can, can mm. stay here for a long time and thrive as employees and professionals and people who love what we get to do in service of the trail. Um, but none of us are getting rich. I will just say that too for you. None of us are. We could definitely do better in that arena. But, um, but I would also say that, um, you know, it is important for us to make sure the trail has the resources it needs, whether it's being able to provide free mapping, map resources to the public, which is really critical Mm. to us, or planning guides and other kinds of things to be real generous so that people really can feel a connection to the trail is important. You know, all of our volunteer projects are free. All of our events are free, family friendly, open to the public, and, you know, inclusive, welcoming, um, so that people can be a part of this stuff, regardless of if they look like somebody in a backpacker magazine you know, that they are still welcome. If they haven't hiked the entire CDT, that the CDT is still something for them mm. and they belong mm. and that they have just as important connection as, you know, people who've hiked it from end to end. And I think that's, you know, a big stereotype that we've spent a lot of time breaking down because then again, those people are then the voices who stand up and speak out on behalf of these trails and hopefully support us. Um, but more importantly, just stand up and speak out and fight for these places that, you know, are so nationally significant and important to us for all the reasons, not just for the recreational ones, but, you know, in our case that it's where the watershed begins. Mm. So it's worth speaking up for. But yeah, I think um, it's a, it's a crazy system. It's, you know, it's hard to distill into like a 10 minute answer, which was way too long too. But, (laughs) um, but, you know, it's, it's complicated. (laughs) For sure. It's complicated. But I'd say it's a you've you could just uh, we could just transcribe your your ten minute answer and give it off. In my opinion, as a as a political handbook to any any um, <laughs> hopeful politicians for how to run a, a community or right? you know how to a sort of value guideline for how to take care of a, a place and a and a group of people for sure. I was going to say, I was going to relate that back to the conversation around what I was doing at OR. I think we've been very selective of who we work with, even, mm. because we want organizations and partners and, re, you know, whether they're corporate or, or foundations or other organizations to reflect the same values, mm. right? Mm. That we're really in this together. And, it, you know, and everybody gives what they can, mm. right? Whether that's a dollar or a backpack or, you know, a thousand dollars, you know, that's all 
important. It's the whole mix. Like there's no one that's more important than the other. Mm. And that also, again, when, you know, when I was talking about the relationships, that these are mutually beneficial relationships because we're furthering collective and co-aligned values mm. around being human mm. and relational and being able to ebb and flow and, you know, ad- adapt and be flexible because not every day is it perfect, you know? And I think that's what happens so often you see in other places, you see a very corporate mentality. And I, you know, even internally, we're like, we're not draw, you know, I think we have incredible overachievers on our team. And so we work really hard. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, like, it's okay if we don't get mm-hmm. it all done. It's okay. Cause we'd rather do six things really well than our overly ambitious 10 things we thought we could do. Because let's make sure we're not ruining relationships or the quality of our work in accomplishment of widgets that aren't really meaningful. Mm. You know, that let's define success on the, 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 the depth and um, health of the relationships that allow us to get those six things done versus over-promising or over, you know, um, or skimping on delivery of, of services Mm. just to be able to, you know, tick things off on the list, mm. you know? And I think that's hard for us, not hard for us. It's easy for us, but it's hard in the society to remember. It's not about, we define success differently. Mm. Like if we, you and I ran into each other on the street after this conversation and I was like, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good, but I hadn't talked to you between then. And I didn't know like major things that happened in your life. I'd be, I'd feel like, you know what? I really felt I'd, I'd drop the ball. Like, stop, let's tell me more. I'm going to switch, you know, I'm going to tune out these things and let's be present in this moment and let's talk about Mm. you. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think we don't do that enough in our world. And so we move to this transactional space. And I think that's true in nonprofits as it is in for-profits. And when it comes to this work that we do along the CDT, that's when we get into trouble Mm. is when we lose sight of the things that are really important. And so that's whether it's, again, you know, 100 people giving a dollar is so important to me because that's still a dollar. Someone's willing to invest in us. So I'm willing to invest back in that person and show that that dollar was well invested. For sure. Um, as a collective. So anyway, I will stop. No, I, I, <laughs> I love that. Um, it's, it's kind of... You're baking, you're baking a cake that knows what it is, and it's a delicious, <laughs> dependable. It's like a really good carrot cake. It's like it's not gonna yeah, work. Right? It's not the it's fanciest. It's not the fanciest cake in the bake sale. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be. It just needs to be there for half past three in the afternoon when you're hitting a bit of a low and you need something reliable that you know is there. That's classic and delicious. Exactly. And it's, That's and exactly, it's achievable. It's achievable. That. It's achievable. And it's consistently good. Exactly. Consistently, consistently good. hits Don't have the to spot. Question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use that next time. Feel free. Please do. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in, you've said a few times, uh, or you've mentioned sort of standing up for the trail um, and you've referenced sort of threats to the trail. And I'm, I'm interested in, um you know what is the work where does where does the focus lie in terms of um defending the environment is it sort of a specific on the ground 
thing, or is it on a broader scale in terms of the environmental effects of climate change and the impacts on the watershed? And um, are there particular practical things that um, people can do or should be thinking about? Um, it's yeah, there's definitely both very localized things and then these very existential sort of world issues that are mm. affecting the trail. So for sure, um, you know, climate change, both things that we're doing along the divide and things that happen outside of the divide that are affecting everything from water usage to, you know, temperatures to again, like, you know, here in New Mexico, where I'm, I should have mentioned I'm in Santa Fe on the homelands of the Tiwa and Hickory Apache people, but um, the national forests are closed because of the potential for fire danger. And we've had these very extreme events in the Gila National Forest in the Aldo Leopold Wilderness, which is on fire right now, quickly becoming the, the largest fire in New Mexico history. You know, we just got word they flew over the section of the CDT that got burned and they described it as a moonscape. Mm. Like absolutely destroyed. So that means not even just the tree. There's no standing live trees, but that means critters mm. died. And that means watersheds mm -hmm. are now exposed to extreme heat that have Gila trout in them and all these other things. So, um, yes, those are incredibly important threats. And how do we address them on a global scale? That's, you know, we can, there's so many ways people can do everything from, you know, um, like I don't have any AC in my house. I don't use, I, I put buckets in my shower so I collect all the water that doesn't go down the drain and put it outside of my garden. So I'm not water, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, all those mm -hmm. kinds of things that we can all do to conserve and, and manage ourselves better. But, um, but that's a threat for sure, because it will change the experience. While yes, it tells a story. It tells a different story than maybe we had hoped for people to experience when they're in those sections of the CBT. Um, but I think the big things that are that we have a direct more, more direct impact on or ability to influence or things like just completing the trail. The CDT, unlike many other trails, is not complete yet. We still have 5% to go that are on private lands. And those private lands currently aren't being developed, but they could be. And so the potential to lose really critical connective landscape pieces that connect larger stretches of public lands or federally owned lands is, is definitely a threat that is our most important focus. And we've heard that from our stakeholders and the people we serve, that completing the trail is critical. Um, we've also heard that these large extreme fire events is critically important to especially local communities. So how do we educate users and recreationists to not have them be the source of mm. a fire in those, re in mm. those places is critical? Because that also then says to somewhere where we haven't completed the trail, well, you guys, where the trail was completed, your hikers started a fire, so why should we let you complete the trail near our, you know, I mean, they all feed upon each other as much as everything else. For sure. But I think trail completion is critical because land use, you know, we're not, we're not growing more land and land becomes more expensive. Um, developments by obviously extractive things like oil and gas to um, even renewables. Like there are sections of the CDT down in Southern New Mexico that, because the CDT runs north to south and a lot of our energy corridors in the United States run east to west, certain communities are being impacted more than other communities because they're where the energy corridors are. So now all these energy companies, both in the case of oil and gas, as much as renewables like solar and wind, are all focusing on the same landscapes. Well, right now those landscapes are relatively undeveloped. They're ranching landscapes and they have huge expanses 
but what will change when you know there's 500 wind towers in that landscape? Mm. It'll alter it def- you know immensely. And so there's some equity issues where these communities are bearing the brunt of everybody's energy use. And while yes, they're renewable, and that's really important, doing it smartly so that it minimizes as much as possible the impact. Or like if Boulder wants more, no offense to Boulder, Colorado, but like if Boulder, Colorado wants more solar energy, put the solar panels in Boulder. Why do they have to be up in Lordsburg, New Mexico instead? You know, like really localize that impact. So it's more, you know, it's easy to think, well, I can keep using energy as much as I want because I don't see it, but it's still being, it still has to be generated and it still has to be captured. And even with renewables, you need power lines and transmission lines and roads and lights and gates and fences and all these things that come with it. It's not just a solar panel. It's not just a wind tower. It's all this other infrastructure. And so that's a threat to the CBT right now is these Mm. immense developments that are being proposed because we need the energy, um, but they're being all located in the same locations that currently right now are relatively undeveloped. And so that intimate experience is going to be altered, but not in a good way. Not in a fire where where you can explain it with natural, you know, like you can explain it naturally. It's this whole other human demanded way. Um, You know, I think other things are just like, yeah, that we have trails, you know, volunteers. We live in a very rural community based system where aside from Denver and maybe Salt Lake and Salt Lake would be on the west side, Denver on the east side of the divide. There aren't a lot of really major population centers for folks to go out and volunteer on these trail segments. And so, again, that puts a burden on local communities who love the CBT, want to steward the CBT, but that's a lot to ask for small communities that already have other major impacts that they have to provide, even though they're surrounded by national forests, you know, they don't get a huge tax base. And then they're like, you want us to steward the trail too? Are you crazy? You know, um, Mm, they do. But, you know, thinking about how to find, you know, um, expand stewardship resources, volunteers in particular, to support and augment the folks who live along the trail so that, you know, everybody's sharing in that, I think is a big part of it. Um, you know, and then, yeah, like other things with climate change, just being recognizing that these places of national significance are threatened by things, again, mm-hmm. that are existential or external to the work that we do. We don't have much control of them, except for individually what we do at home. And so, um, but uh, yeah, develop land development in all its ways is critical. I think that's, that's what keeps me up at night is, you know, we're on, we're on borrowed time. You know, we have the Continental Divide Trail Completion Act, which is a piece of legislation. Uh, Congressman Joe Nagusa of Colorado uh, has, it's come out of committee. Um, it still needs a vote on the House floor. We're hoping for a, a vote on the Senate side of U.S. Congress um, sometime this year um, to just sort of keep pressure on the federal agencies to continue to work at completing the CDT through, again, agencies constantly are being, their budgets are decreasing. So these amazingly talented professionals are constantly having more to do with less resources. So then you throw out this whole like, hey, and finish the trail while you're at it. It's impossible for them to do them all well. Like, you know, they just can't. And so this piece of legislation would give them some additional resources to have the capacity to stay consistently working on some of these issues with us so that we get these across the finish line before these places are developed or lost in other kinds of mm. activities. So I think that's our biggest threat. We have some tools in, in play to um, address them 
So I would say in terms of people speaking up and standing up, it'd be even if you live in Tennessee or you live in Maine or you live in Arkansas or you live in Seattle, Washington, calling your representatives and saying, hey, support this piece of legislation or better yet, support the trail in my local county, my local state, my community, my region, so that I have a place to recreate and then we don't lose it because it's important to me. Like that's the most important thing people can do right now is keep the pressure on, even if it doesn't seem like Congress is doing things, they're, they're listening. They're always listening and trails are bipartisan and um, serve so many different assets of our society. Um, like I said, personal health, mental health, physical health, economic health, um, as important connectors of neighbors, friends, family, communities, um, mm. creating just access to nature in general. And if people can just speak up out, speak up and stand up on behalf of trails with their elected officials at every level, that would go so far um, in addressing some of these things. It strikes me even on the very sort of basic personal uh, or individual rather than personal uh, level, the idea of a hundred hundred one dollar coins and having a hundred a hundred people out there sort of wagging their finger at someone smoking a cigarette in the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever it might be not to underestimate uh, the impact that um, you can have on an individual level at the right place in the right time well I have a great example I mean the kind of the trail coalition we're 10 years old and we formed because a previous organization called the Continental Divide Trail Alliance closed its doors. And it closed its doors because it was not managed well as a nonprofit and not because of anybody on staff. It was really a board oversight thing where just they didn't manage it well. And it's a story of many nonprofits. But when it mm -hmm. closed myself and three other folks who had worked previously at CDTA, we were like, oh, crap, you know, like, if we don't do it, maybe the wrong people will. So we were like amongst, I mean, if you'd asked me 10 years and one day ago, would you ever start a nonprofit or want to be an executive director? I would tell you no way in hell ever mm -hmm. would I ever want to do either one of those things. And here I am <laughs> 10 years later, like never in my life list of things I ever wanted to do was be an executive director or create a nonprofit. Never, mm -hmm. never, 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 never. And here we are. And, and it happened because I'd spent at that time, like 25 years working in, I had spent 20 years working on the Appalachian Trail and then five years at that time at the Continental Divide Trail Alliance as a director of trail operations. And when CDTA closed, myself and 11 other people lost our jobs. And we lost our jobs because people lost sight of the mission and it became a very corporate approach to people doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons with no oversight. And so those of us who really did care, we got, we were the brunt of that. And my brother, the night, the day, the, the night, the last day of CDTA was open. Um, it was a very rough night. I remember it was like midnight and I was in my room and I was a wreck. And um, I remember I called my brother and I was like, I'm not doing well. And he's like, look, you know, first of all, this wasn't your fault. This was their fault. So don't you dare take the blame for something you had nothing to do with. And, and then he was like, and two, take a deep breath and everything will work itself out, I promise. And now that you have nothing left to lose, you have everything to gain. And so I sat with that for a long time, for a couple months, and, and myself and our other three co-founders, you know, we all realized we had to do this together. If we didn't do it together, and as a community of four people coming together as one, then it was never going to work again. And during that time, 
we had heard that there were people in the Washington office of a certain federal agency saying, well, if CDTA closed, it must not be in the public's best interest to protect this trail. And I remember when I heard that, I know, when I heard that, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not what happened. This was not about the people who love this trail or love this organization or love this landscape. This was mm -hmm. about people doing the wrong thing in leadership. Mm. And that's when I was just like, part of my French, I was like, oh, shit, we're going to have to do this. And then a colleague of mine said, if you don't do this, the wrong people will. And it was like, shoot, we're going to have to do this. And so we formed pretty much really soon after that. And that was one of our principal foundings was that we would demonstrate to the, those federal agency folks, this was, this was in the public's best interest to protect this trail because by God, it was not because we didn't care. It was because other people didn't care about us. And I think that fundamental value has been critical and core to CDTC ever since. Because we will never let this fall on our watch because it's a we. It's not an ego-driven thing. We are not empire builders. We are in this in service to the trail and to the people and the communities that love this landscape, that understand the importance of it. And the benefit that Congress put a trail along its spine that allows us to protect this landscape is like a bonus. But this is about the humanity of people who are connected to this trail in this landscape. And so, yes, those $1, hundred people, I am more interested in their voices than I am in that dollar bill. And I'm interested mm. in the people who just give me a zip code. Like, they don't even have to give mm. me a buck. <laughs> I, would, I would love to. You know, I would love just their zip code. Um, that would be valuable uh, beyond all ends because it says that they're, you know, I want everyone to know that they have a place at CDTC and that their voice matters in this landscape because it connects us all. It connects us all, whether they're U.S. citizens or from other countries or whatever. This is a landscape that affects us all. And so, yeah, I mean, that is CDTC's origin that we were challenged that, a federal agency person said, well, it must not be in the public's best interest to protect this trail. And it was like, oh, no, you know, I think it, if anything else, it was a big middle finger to them. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, you didn't just say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, watch we'll, this. We'll show you and the then, public's you know, we, best interest. Yeah. We'll show <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny because we then decided very fundamentally we would not take a large major donation and we would not take federal money until we had launched based off of grassroots. So we actually used an Indiegogo campaign called Finding Our Way on the Continental Divide um, to launch CDTC. So in fact, I think the first year or two, I did everything voluntarily. I was working three jobs. I was a like swim coach. I was a lifeguard. I was working in a bakery. A friend of mine took pity on me and let me work in their bakery. Um, <laughs> and then I slowly weaned off all those three jobs as we got funding into CDTC, um, and then I was I was I was the first part-time employee, but I wasn't the first full-time employee. That was our field programs person. But um, uh, you know, we we formed with this idea that what however long it took, we would be based in grassroots support first and foremost, so that that was always our our foundation, and we would never lose sight of that foundation, and and it's worked. And the only reason CDTC is successful now and why the Forest Service elevates us as its number one shared stewardship partner is because they don't have to pay for it, really. Mm. <laughs> because we do all the work. We, we are, you know, when we look at our end of the years, 
we are 20 to one in match to federal dollars, the amount of money wow. we leverage with volunteer hours and our actual cash. And when I, when I say that to people, it's a powerful thing for me to say, mm. because the, this is important to the American public. It's mm. so important. We outmatch you 20 to one. <laughs> That's how important this is. And look at all the things that we're doing and look at all the people that are showing up and look at the people who are willing to put their voice behind this work in support of this amazing landscape. Mm. You can't quiet us now. Mm. You know, we, we were, we've gained our voice. We understand our voice and we're going to leverage that voice and we're adding to that voice every day. And, um, and what's really powerful is that, you know, even mentioning Connor Ryan, you know, we are looking at how do we now bring in, who should have always been in this conversation, indigenous communities, native voices, and really start to, to decolonize. You know, we always admit first and foremost, we are on stolen lands in this, in this whole landscape. And we need to understand and create space for co-stewardship, even if that means that CDTC is less important and other things are, are more important, that we need to figure out how to decolonize this work so that it is really done in a way in partnership with Native tribes and Native peoples in a way that maybe hasn't been seen before because, you know, there's, you know, we'd rather have, again, it goes back to who we need to serve and mm. how we need to serve people. Mm. So, um, you know, yeah, more to come on that, but. <laughs> yeah. So I actually have a, I have a question in, in relation to that, which is, I would think that um, one of the strengths of a grass grassroots support uh, an organization that's that's based on the buy-in of, of a broad range of people in this case in this instance would be that there are so many people from both sides of the glaring political divide that mm -hmm. have a fundamental appreciation for the outdoors um there's so many people you know that you could you could almost draw a stereotype of a far right and a far left um, you know, maybe one would be a hunter and the other would be a bearded ultra runner or something like that. And, <laughs> and they might, um, whatever their political beliefs, they might have mutual buy-in to the importance of protecting uh, mm -hmm. the landscape and, and their recreation, their ability to, to do what they love in that space. How, how much does, do political concerns weigh into yeah, how much political calculation do you have to do? None. 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 One, because it's, there's no point in it. Mm -hmm. And two, especially in the West, this is what a lot of people don't understand about the American West. Most of the communities the trail goes through are surrounded by public lands or federally managed lands, um, federally administered mm -hmm. lands of some sort. And so they already understand the importance for all the reasons, economic, health, access. Mm. You know, one of the, the first land and water conservation fund acquisition for the Continental Divide Trail was conducted in 2016. It was um, a BLM purchase in central New Mexico. The conservation buyer was actually the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, mm. who bought the $2.6 million track that then they held it until the BLM could get the funds from the US government. And then they did the, the acquisition that way. And it was because the Continental Divide in that location, in the Alamosita Creek location, had no public access for the public. But by buying this acquisition, all of a sudden hunters, turkey hunters, elk hunters, had all of a sudden all this access to these places that they took 
you know, traditionally had not had. Mm. So yes, it's not just for hikers. Yeah. It's not just yeah. for people going end to end. It's for all the values, every kind of value, whether it's cultural significance, you know, hunting, fishing, just general connection to nature. Mm. There is that it goes across the political spectrum and there's no point in using it in any other way than this is important to the fabric of the American West. And it, and it, trans, it, it just transcends that. And so we will find supporters, you know, we, we also find supporters who don't want the trail and that's not even supporters. We find people who say like, no, I'd rather you not put the trail here. But, you know, even in rural like communities where, you know, there's, you know, what's happening in the American West has already happened on the East and West Coast in the United States and that, you know, people, it's expensive to own land. It's expensive to ranch. It's not necessarily because of all the reasons climate change, lack of water, it's not easy to it's not easy to ranch and grow cattle anymore. And mm -hmm. so people who for generations have had a particular way of life are seeing their children leave their communities and go elsewhere. And those children want to stay home, but there's no resources for them. So when they can see even that there's a potential benefit economically for small business development in their communities to stay where they are and have a viable life, you know, they're not going to make a killing, but they're going to make a living. Um, which is far more important, um, that they can sustain a family that's, that's thriving and that the family has options and, and opportunities that also gets buy-in across the spectrum. Mm. And, you know, we work with a lot of small business owners in our, in our, um, in our gateway communities. And we do a small business survey every other year. And this last one was conducted last year and something like 86% of the small business owners it was like over 175 people who responded said that protecting the Continental Divide Trail was important to their community. Mm. Completing the Continental Divide Trail was important to their community. Mm. So across the board, and it's not just like, it's not just lodging and beer joints. It's like car dealers, not car dealerships, but like auto mechanic places and other kinds of things that aren't your traditional businesses you might think are associated with recreation in the outdoors. So if across the board, you're seeing people understand the importance of things like the Continental Divide Trail for all the various benefits, you don't have you don't have to make the political case because it's made for you, for itself. Mm. Because again, we all have this deep connection to this landscape. We have a deep connection to the rural Rocky Mountain West, and people don't want to see it change, but they also don't want to see it also die. So there's a way to balance the thriving with things like the Continental Divide Trail or other kinds of outdoor recreation resources that allow investment of and of local communities, both in themselves, in businesses, and allow a sustainable economy to be developed. It won't, you know, it's not just about the CDT, it's about all the suite of assets that, you know, community has. Like someone could come in and hike the CDT in Rollins, Wyoming one day, go fly fishing the next day, and go ATVing the third day. But that's three nights potentially spent in a hotel experiencing mm. everything about the Great Divide Basin. And so that's success. So it celebrates all the different things that a community has in all the different ways. It's not just about the CBT. And so I think that's, you know, when we talked earlier about like how we see all these connections of the trail, again, it's not just that one type of user or that one type of experience. It's how the CBT can serve all of these different places naturally um, without over promotion or commodifying it in a way that really allows communities along the, this landscape to thrive and to find new opportunities to, to survive 
um, and combat against things like oil and gas development as the only alternative for making money and keeping their lands. Maybe recreation could help do it too, mm. you know? And so it opens up a whole different set of conversations and opportunities that maybe people haven't thought about. Um, and I think it helps, you know, we've always had the, the congressional decision makers along the continental divide from both sides of the aisle have always been in support of protecting it. I mean, it's not, you know, they get it. And some of our staunchest supporters have been not people you would expect. They were on, you know, on one particular side of the spectrum and you'd be like, wow, that's our fiercest supporter is not maybe on paper who you think it might be. Mm, mm. And so I think that speaks volumes about the value that people see in outdoor recreation in the West and along the divide. Um, is actually, it's instead of a divide, it's actually where we come together we find unity in this really crazy way. Kind of, kind of irony. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. I remember the first time I was on the divide when I was like, I don't even remember how old I was, maybe 18 or 19 or 20. And I just remember like, wow, this is where the water begins. Mm. And then you think about this journey that all of it takes. And so whether you're in Canada or you're down here or you're in Mexico or the South America or, or in, in the Arctic, for example, um, it's still profound that that's where the water begins. That's where mm. life begins, mm. you know, and um, For sure. it's kind of cool that you can put your yeah. feet right where that happens. Very you cool. You can intimately have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Uh, huge congratulations from me personally and from Seoul on, on 10 years um and on the amazing work that that you folks are doing and on your resilience and positivity and and energy um yeah i think it's quite fantastic um thank and i'm very <laughs> yeah thank you for your time i'm very i'm very glad to have had the chance to chat is there anything else that you would like to say finally? Anything, any final points? I just hope everybody um, that listens, you know, if they haven't had a chance to step foot on the continental divide, you know, I hope someday you do, but also just go put your feet on a trail mm. in your own backyard or your front mm. yard or make your own trail and get connected to nature in a way that gives you a sense of wonder and exploration and, and gets you outside and do it with a friend or family or a neighbor and share the experience because we need that more than anything else is to get connected with one another and to take care of one another in these really difficult times. For sure. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Teresa. You're welcome. <laughs>